Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of M365 Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo. I'm Sarah Hazi. I am Mike Marani. And today we are going to take another question from our jar. So are you ready, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Out the jar. We almost had two for the price of one. Always a surprise what we get. Uh, how do you feel about citizen developers? Are they good or bad for the health of your Microsoft 365 tenant? Oh, wow. So it goes beyond our personal feelings about citizen developers, but how do they impact the health of our tenant? That's a deep uh, well right there. It is. Okay, so who wants to go first? I'm going to start with a very soft comment. Um, doesn't matter what it is that the, the users are soft, uh, citizen developers or not, uh, or a regular user, they need to know they need to be really trained well on the environment, whatever they're working with, uh, because if they really don't understand the features, the technology of what they're working with, it's going to make it hard for them to adopt it. It might make it hard for them to kind of use it properly. They might make some mistakes, whether that mistake it does not impact others, but they always make a mistake that they're not using it properly from storing a document, posting a message, whatever that is. Uh, it's always good to clearly know M365 before you start using that. That's my general introduction. Your, your, your key point there, Mike, yeah. is that training is needed and understanding of the environment before you get into citizen development is, is important. Okay. Right. Exactly. That's a very, I think it's right. a good answer and, and it's um, diplomatic. It's a, it's a, it's a diplomatic, nice answer. And I would expect nothing less from you, Mike. <laughs> Well, so, Sarah, to put to put you on the spot, what do you think? Me, um, <clears throat> I I actually think that um, the first thing that it would occur to me is um, what's your risk tolerance um, from a company perspective? What's your security? Um, how does your security and risk tolerance compare with your desire for open, unbridled innovation? So I would actually tie this question to. How do you feel about self-service enabling your employees to create Microsoft 365 groups on demand? Meaning, are you willing to let them create new teams, new sites, new communities, new planners, plans on demand instantly? Um, if you, if your organization from a risk and a security posture has trouble with that, um, to me, that's a, that's actually a pretty starting toll gate. If you're not comfortable with that, then you really need to consider citizen development and what that means. If you are comfortable with that, maybe then you need to figure out governance and security and compliance uh, parameters that will give your citizen developers freedom to develop while you still can maintain some, some rigor. I think those are great points. So consider your risk tolerance before you enable citizen development before you encourage it. And a good indicator of that is whether you're okay with people creating M365 groups themselves, the whole self-service site and team creation. So I find it helpful to start with an example because yeah. that's something concrete that I think a lot of companies and a lot of uh, M365 practitioners or tenant administrators or IT executives would have a visceral response to either positive or negative. So to me, it's an indication swear of where you may be starting from. 
Yeah, I think because you, you, you're touching on on the well, what I call it, the technical and operational governance of internet. Once you address those and you put the rules on, and conditions around the technical operation governance, uh, whether from a group creations teams, whatever, then you can address the need of having citizen developers or not, and what kind of governance you're going to put around that to protect and maintain the health of, of your tenant and the health of your data. For me, citizen. on the whole, I think citizen development generally is a good thing. Uh, but I do think, you know, to your risk tolerance point, Sarah, I think controls around it are necessary. I think complete unbridled, unrestricted citizen development is not a healthy thing for your M365 environment. Just my opinion from what I've seen. Um, you know, assessing your risk tolerance around it and what people can do. So having a good understanding of what people can do from a system development perspective and understanding your risk tolerance is a very good thing to determine. If you are going to enable citizen development, how are you going to do it? What kind of controls are you going to put around it? Um, now, I think, Mike, your point of education for people, helping them understand what they can and, and should or should not do or cannot do with citizen development is a really good thing as well. So having resources for people. And that might include some templates for people to start from, right? Some recipes that they can start from. It's like I've always thought of citizen development is is a way for each individual to find a way to make their job more productive, to make themselves more productive, to make their job more efficient through automation and developing their own solutions for their themselves or their little team or for their department. So generally, that that feels like a good thing when you approach it from a productivity standpoint. But it absolutely has to have controls around it, right? Like when, when we think about citizen development, we typically think about enabling people with the power platform so that they can go off and build apps and workflows and other artifacts to, you know, automate parts of their own job or make collecting data easier or data visualization easier, uh, which generally is a good thing. But, you know, to throw out an example, with Power Automate, you can connect to any endpoint on the internet, right? And there's a lot of risk that comes with that. So having some controls around that and, and very tactically using, say, the, the DLP policies in the Power Platform is just one example of that. Um, mm -hmm. That's a good thing. Um, I do think in large organizations, though, it's also important to have space, to, sorry, to think about um, uh, uh, DevOps and having a DevOps practice where, you know, a person in HR is not going to go develop the organization's um, HR onboarding process um, as a citizen developer. That's going to be a centralized thing that gets built by a DevOps team or by a centralized development team using the same tools sometimes that you enable for the citizen developer. There has to be kind of a clear difference between those roles and the controls around them and how they work. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, you've touched on that. Um, and I, I'm thinking about if if there is a solution or an application that you're building for the organization, you're going to have to think about it from uh, from all the aspects of the security, the scalability, the volume, the continuity as well. Because as you know, if you go and create a power app or 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 a power automate and it's attached to your name, then you leave the company. Then then basically that app stops working. That's right. So you, uh, it's good to have. I'm, I'm a big supporter also of, of, of the citizen developer because you don't want to really rely on this only one group to just do things. 
but mm -hmm. as well, like you both mentioned, we're going to have to have the governance around it. You're going to have to have the controls around it, and going to have to have some uh, educational training on mm -hmm. what you can and cannot do, and what things you should look at before mm -hmm. you enable them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important, and um, I, I I prefer, um, and I know I'm saying this as a universal, and every situation context is different, but I like taking a set the parameters and then let me, people move freely and build what they need to do within parameters in general. Um, so I really like the example that you gave about Power Automate, Antonio, because one of the examples is you can, of course, use Power Automate to be able to exfiltrate data send it to Google Drive, send it outside of your Easily. company. But you can, yeah. from an enterprise or a tenant perspective, you can set up those parameters around Power Automate to disable those third-party data connectors to control right. data exfiltration. If you do that, then can you just give people their Power Automate licenses and let them build workflows? And I would say 100%, as long as you can control some of those security parameters around it, um, right. if your organization requires that. So that's why I like thinking about it more as what parameters would we set for our own data security compliance or risk tolerance needs and then let people move about as freely as you can within there. Um, yeah. I, I'm also a big proponent of, um, I like building governance processes that take into account allowing people to adopt things as quickly as possible without putting huge hurdles in their way. So I'm a, and I think we've talked about this on, on previous episodes. I love enabling people to create M365 groups and all of the elements, communities, sites, teams on demand, get them instantly, let them use them right away, but then follow up with a governance process. If you need to register those groups, if you need to declare owners for those groups, then do that as a fast follower and put some teeth into it, but don't stop people from innovating in the short term build the governance processes into that process so that that way you don't have to put up such big hurdles right at the starting gate. Agreed. And do you do you support also having this group in an organization they are the expert or center of excellence for let's call it power platform. So these citizen developers they can come to these experts in the organization and say what do you think about this? We're thinking about doing this. It might scale to larger applications or mm -hmm. it, does it have an impact on the mm -hmm. performance? Does it have an impact on the mm -hmm. security? We just have that kind of expertise in-house to kind of guide those citizen developers as well to how to do it best. I love having that. Um, uh, in, in past lives, I've run that kind of a, a center of excellence program. It takes quite an investment. Um, from a company perspective, um, because those are not inexpensive resources to hire. They're not easy to find, they're not easy to staff, and they can get quickly overwhelmed by the demand being generated by the organization. So I love that kind of a model if you can invest in that from an enterprise perspective, but it's not inexpensive. Correct, agreed. Great point. Um, a, a point that you touched on quickly, Mike, I wanted to highlight was um, when, uh, an individual creates some of these artifacts, Power Automate workflow, Power, and then they leave the organization. That thing stops working, and I've seen that happen where you know an individual builds a small artifact to make their job more efficient, and it quickly grows to the team using it, 
right? Where more than just that one person, but like a group of four, five, six, seven, ten people are using it. And then a year later, the person leaves the organization and it stops mm-hmm. working. And the rest of the people don't know why it stopped working. So I, I think that highlights the education component that you mentioned is really important when you get into it. So people know that and they have a way to mitigate that. They have a way to work with a centralized team site. I'm going to build this thing. Um, I want it to be you know, used by my team. Um, I'd like some guidance or advice, and I'd like you to help me set it up so that it uh, um, you know, doesn't die if I leave the organization. Um, so I think having education resources for that is super important. Um, the other thing that uh, we haven't touched on here yet is uh, self-service licensing. So often mm-hmm. these uh, building um, these types of solutions, these system development solutions, require licenses. And as we all know, Microsoft enabled by default an M365 tenants for people to be able to purchase their own licenses. Mm-hmm. That I am vehemently against. Oh, yes. And we tell every single customer to turn that off whenever we go in to do a security assessment or audit, because just yep. the 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 um, the liability of letting people purchase their own licenses in the company's tenant is huge. Yep. No, I. It gives me. It, it gets. Saw that. Oh. We've talked about this before. I I know I have a blog post. I'm very opinionated yes. on it. It just gives. It's a nightmare. Um, I understand why Microsoft did it. It makes sense in some companies, and it certainly makes sense. I got to be honest, because Microsoft is, they have to generate revenue. It's a revenue generation opportunity. But from a tenant perspective, not having the ability to have that approved by tenant admins, yeah. it could create huge legal culpability issues. If if I, Sarah Hasley, go out and purchase a license, I put it on my personal credit card I leave the company six months later and that license, I don't notice that it's still being used and billing to my credit card. And then what, two years from now, I have to go to that company and try and get them to back pay me for this. It's a nightmare to even think about. Exactly. Um, Go ahead. I was going to jump on a different topic. So if you have something, go for it. Oh. I'm trying to I'm trying to stop myself from talking more about the self-service licenses, so please take it away and go. Yeah, no, I guess Antonio has some something to. Uh, <laughs> we will we will pause for a we'll bit. Back. Comes back. Okay, we're gonna do a live pause. Uh, I don't know. Hi there. Sorry about that. Pauses. <laughs> I'm back. Sorry about that. All good. The joys of working from home. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you had something that you were going to talk about. I was going to ask you about what about different environments? Like I'm not I'm not the expert there, but what are your thoughts of cre- on creating different environments for citizen developers just so se- you separate it from the default environment? What are the benefits, if there are any benefits to do that? There, there's benefits towards how your workflows or apps are organized, okay. right? Where some of the, you know, your citizen ones are relegated to a particular environment, whereas enterprise solutions are relegated say, to the default environment or another environment. Some of the challenges you run into though are, um, well, I'm trying to think back now, it's been a little while. Um, it gets certainly more complicated to manage these things over time. You can build up a large number of flows or apps very quickly 
and people start naming them things that you don't really recognize. Um, so it's hard to discern, um, you know, which is the latest one? Is it still being used? Um, mm -hmm. What's it for? Um, I personally have found multiple environments so far to be more trouble than they're worth, but mm -hmm. sometimes they're necessary for segregating data. Yeah, the only place I, ha I had to go with, with different environments is just from a geolog, even though there's no geolocation, but it's completely separate, two separate cultures, one company, separation between Europe and North America, they wanted different environments. Uh, that was one of the only reasons I had to come across different environments. I think that's a really good use case for having separate tenants. I think in general, it becomes difficult, especially if you have users that need to be able to submit data or do things across the different tenants. And then certainly, and I know uh, Antonia and I would bring this up from a legal record hold or a security and compliance perspective, um, that makes different tenants very difficult because suddenly you can't have a uniform approach to being able to handle all of those things. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, they can certainly be used in large orgs where you've got different departments that manage their own apps, where each department ends up with their own environment. And maybe that helps you to segregate the apps and, and uh, you know, from a central admin perspective, segregate the apps and flows that different departments create and store. So maybe you can manage them more easily that way. Yeah. Um, there is some good content out there on developing a strategy for um, environment usage. Uh, Microsoft has a good article posted on that. Um, you know, they talk about the default environment is a little bit special and has some certain attributes to it. And then having different different environments for departments or for specific applications. So, for example, if you have a large application that's made up of many flows or many power apps or many power uh, uh, or other artifacts, um, sometimes segregating that off to its own environment from just a like an application lifecycle management perspective is important as well. Mm -hmm. There's different reasons for it. Good point. Yeah. Would I would I force citizen developers to all go into one? Maybe. I'm not sure on that one. It's a good question. Okay. I feel like we covered this pretty well though. Yeah. A lot of things to think about. Yeah, certainly lots of opinions out there. I remember when the concept of citizen development first came out um, just a few years ago, it's almost coincided with the Power Platform being released. And, you know, when we first got Microsoft Flow and, and Microsoft Power Apps, um, the concept of citizen developers and making every person a developer or making every person able to automate parts of their own job. So it's certainly an interesting cultural shift in our environment. Not every app is being developed by just a centralized group. Overall, I think generally we agree that there's benefit to the concept. Would you guys agree? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but I think controls around it are important, we said. Risk tolerance, understanding that. Um, having education and guidance, maybe templates for people to follow so that they can stay within the organization's risk tolerance. Sure. All right. Well, thank you both. Uh, thanks to everyone for joining us today, and I hope you, you enjoyed the episode. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.